Hi, I'm Jeff Hebert. Welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's Good News for Imperfect People Like You and Me. I want to welcome you today. This is Season 1. We're Episode 37, called The Great Hope, and we're in John Chapter 14, verses 1 through 11 today. Hey, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been uh, signed up to be a supporter of this podcast. All the bills came due this week for uh, all the hosting sites and everything that's necessary for the production of this podcast, so I really do appreciate your financial support. And if you'd like to be a supporter, you can find out how to do that in the program notes, and I would really appreciate your uh, contributions. Um, If you sign up to become a supporter, email me through my website, jeffebert.com, and I will uh, make sure you get a copy of our uh, script for each episode, and that way you can build up your own uh, library of information on the Gospel of John for this season. So thanks very much for that, and we're going to jump right into... Uh, the scripture for today from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So I was uh, doing my taxes back in April, and somewhere between the itemized deductions and the estimated tax payments, I thought, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would come again? I mean, right now, wouldn't it be great and just go to heaven? The fact is, most of us are so swamped with the things that are happening in daily life that we don't feel we have the time or the emotional energy to meditate on, you know, heavenly glories. You know, when your job is squeezing you or a relationship is starting to feel kind of sour or tense, heaven kind of disappears from our thoughts. It's not something we contemplate on a regular basis. It's hard enough figuring out life after birth, much less life after death. But what happens after death was at the forefront of Jesus' thinking when he spent these last hours before the cross with his disciples. In a very short time, their world was going to fall apart. They'll be so confused, so low, they won't know which way to turn. At some point, every one of us will feel like that. So low, you got to reach up to touch bottom. You can feel so down sometimes. You might feel that way today. What do you say to a person who is really down? Hey, feel better, snap out of it. Well, that's not very helpful. When you feel 
that way, when you feel like you don't have any snap left. Jesus says the only things that are appropriate to say is don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Just believe in God. I know that won't make a lot of sense when confusion comes, but trust in him and trust me. That's what Jesus tells them to do. And what we see here is one of the rare times when Jesus speaks about heaven. We all wonder about heaven, I think, from time to time. We wonder why we're not given more complete information about it in the scriptures. Gallup polls show that about 71% of Americans believe in heaven, but most don't think about it much. Maybe one reason we don't think about heaven is because of some of the absurd ideas many people have about heaven. You know, what do you associate with heaven? Golden streets, pearly gates, sitting on a cloud plucking a harp in some white uniform. I mean, that doesn't get me excited. Doesn't make me think, man, I hope it's tomorrow. I just want to see those pearly gates plucking away in a harp forever. I mean, come on. I mean, maybe if you're a stringed instrument lover, but it would just seem so boring for the rest of us. People have a lot of crazy, false ideas about heaven. And here's the one place Jesus talks about it. And so listen to what he says. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a place with many rooms. There's going to be room for all of us. It really is going to be something because I'm going to be there. Now in Hebrews 6.30, Jesus described, is described as our forerunner. Uh, the Greek word used there is prodomos. The clearest picture of the meaning of this word has to do with the ancient seaport of Alexandria, where the great merchant ships of their day would have to navigate through a series of dangerous reefs in order to make it into safe harbor. You must know your way in, or you're going to end up with a hole in your hull. A little boat would come out, and that boat was called the Prodomus, and it would lead the large ships into the harbor, a forerunner that would show the way. The word prodomos was also used to describe the elite soldiers who would go ahead of an advancing army, the scouts, the pathfinders, the ones who would lead the way, the ones who go before to get things ready. Jesus was going through death to heaven as our forerunner, to be there to lead us in, to show us the way. And in his resurrection, he gives us a glimpse of what it's going to be like. What makes heaven heaven is God. Heaven is that dimension of existence in which God is fully seen. St. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And God is fully obeyed. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 6, verse 10. Mostly here on earth, we get glimpses of God. One day as believers in Jesus, you and I are finally going to see God in all his fullness. There was a movie that came out back in 1999 called What Dreams May Come. It starred Robin Williams and Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. At the time, the special effects of the movie were incredible, and it pictured heaven as this place of just wonder and beauty and nature. Unfortunately, it left out the most important thing about heaven, and that was God. In the movie, God doesn't really exist. He's sort of off camera somewhere. He has no role in the movie whatsoever. When Robin Williams' character dies and goes to heaven, he sees everything of beauty there, except there is no encounter with God, with a personal God. And a heaven without God is like a lake without water. It completely misses the point. Some of you listening to this podcast, you might be artists. And so all your life through art or music or whatever, you've longed for beauty. Well, one look upon God and you'll find so much beauty you won't be able to breathe. 
The Bible book of Revelation tries to describe the beauty of God in heaven using words like emerald and rainbow and lightning and crystal. And those beautiful words still fail to capture the enormity of God's glory. Philip Yancey writes this. He says, I have stood in the midst of the Iguacu Falls in Brazil. As gorgeous tropical butterflies, wing bearers of abstract art, landed on my arms to lap up the moisture. I've crouched beside a bay in Alaska as a pod of feeding beluga whales made shiny crescents of silver in unison against the dark green water. I've sat under the baobab tree in Kenya as giraffes loped effortlessly under sunset clouds and a line of a half a million wildebeest marched single file across the plain. Should we not start with the most obvious fact of existence, that whoever is responsible is a fierce and incomparable artist, beside whom all human achievement and creativity dwindle as child's play. That's from his book, Soul Survivor. But wow, in heaven, you will see that artist in all his fullness. And when you do, you'll be lost in wonder. You'll be unable to fix your eyes fully on the radiant glory of God, yet unable to turn away. You will say in the words of 1 Timothy 6.15, God, you are the blessed and only creator, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and you alone live in unapproachable light. Other people listening to this podcast maybe are thinkers longing for knowledge. You spent many long hours in the library or searching the internet because you've longed for the satisfaction that comes when you finally figure things out and understand and gain balance and perspective and wisdom. In heaven, you will look into the face of God and compared to him, the Library of Congress will be a set of, a set of like baby blocks with your first letters on them. All the knowledge on the web is just a drop in God's great ocean. Here is the one who flung 100 billion galaxies into motion, who invented the giant nebula and the subatomic quark, the one who knows how to blend judgment and mercy, who knows how to give human beings free will, yet sovereignly move in history to its glorious conclusion in himself. When you see God, you will fall down on your face and declare in the words of the Bible, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. That's Romans eleven thirty three. To you, O God, belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are yours. That was Job's conclusion, Job twelve thirteen. In you, O Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians two three. Maybe you're someone who is broken and you're longing for wholeness. Maybe you've wished all your life that you could finally get rid of the shame or guilt or break that habit, find freedom from that addiction, to feel completely pure, to feel good about yourself, to know that you're accepted and loved and forgiven. In heaven, when you look into God's eyes, you will see the love he has for you and you will weep in gratitude. And if you can say anything at all, you'll say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Heaven is heaven because God is there. In heaven, you and I will have a new experience of God. Another thing that will be new in heaven is you. When you and I wake up in heaven, we're going to think, what a relief to know that I didn't just rot in the ground. My life didn't just end. I'm here. And now, in fact, it's just beginning. And then we realize, you know, I have a brand new body. I have a resurrection body, one like Jesus had, real and corporal and physical. 
but different from the body we now have. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us four words to describe what these new bodies are going to be like. In verse 42, he says they'll be imperishable. Our bodies will never wear out, die, or decay. He says they're going to be glorious. You'll finally really like how you look. It's the ultimate makeover. You won't be insecure about any part of yourself or your appearance when you're in heaven. You'll be so far beyond the world's petty evaluations and false standards. Paul says our bodies are going to be powerful. You won't ever get tired. And finally, he says you're going to have a body that is spiritual. And we don't know exactly what that means, but we get clues to it when we see Jesus's body after he was raised from the dead. The disciples, remember, were locked in the upper room. With all the doors locked, suddenly Jesus just shows up. Apparently, he had the ability to appear and reappear, and locked doors were no barrier to him. Your new body will be immortal, glorious, strong, spiritual. And Jesus is going ahead to prepare the way for those who believe and follow him. And I love what Thomas says. What a great guy. He is so honest. He says, Jesus, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. He had some doubts. They all did. But Thomas was just, he was just this really honest guy. You know, the doubts of Thomas are what, what elicited one of the most beautiful statements ever made by Jesus. Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's verse 6. Jesus is the way. Jesus Christ is the way to all eternity. Ever ask for directions in a strange town? You know, someone will say, you know, we'll go two blocks down and look for the house with the red door. Don't turn there. Just go another half mile and follow the fork, follow the fork past the dirt road. It looks like a parking lot, but it's not. Another person might say, come with me and I'll take you there. And you see, that's what Jesus means. He will guide you to heaven. So when we ask, what's the way to heaven? Well, it's not, well, you go to church, keep the Ten Commandments, give to the United Way, you're a nice person, you can't miss it. No, instead, Jesus says, I'm the way. You come with me. Move your life uh, alongside of mine. Jesus personifies the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just point the way. He is the way. If you want to know the way to God, you just go together with him. And that's same with truth. Many people have spoken words of truth. There are many beautiful, wonderful truths in other religions, beautiful ethical teachings, many areas of overlap between religions in those ethical teachings. But only one has perfectly embodied truth, and that's Jesus. You might have an algebra teacher who really knows his stuff, but he might be a drunk. There is no problem to speak truth in that area and still have a drinking problem. Moral truth can't really be conveyed in words. It's best conveyed in example. And Jesus was also saying, watch me and see if it is so. He embodied the truth. There's not an issue to debate here. It is an, an encounter with a reality called truth. It's an encounter with Jesus personally. And life Jesus personifies life in all its fullness, life with real purpose and meaning. Come with me and we will move through life together. and We'll do it with meaning and purpose and direction and wholeness and joy and satisfaction. Here's a great prayer from the mystic Thomas Akempis. Thou art the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. 
Jesus' last statement, no one comes to the Father but by me. Does that bother some of you? You know, in this age of tolerance and diversity where all roads lead to God, where all is well and God grades on a curve and we all make a passing grade, you know, we live in this age of uncritical acceptance and universalism. So regardless of what you believe, we're all going to make it, right? There's really little support for that kind of thinking in the Bible. More often we hear exclusive statements, particularly from Jesus, as we've seen in so many passages already in John. Does that bother you? Because one of the things we have to deal with as believers is that many roads may lead to Jesus Christ, but there's only one road that leads to God, and that's Jesus himself. Some may never have a complete understanding. We know that no one will be in heaven apart from the work of Christ. And is that being exclusive? No, because those aren't my words. Those are Jesus's words. He's the one telling us this truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. So please don't take false comfort in half-truths. So I have two questions for you I'd like you to consider. Do you know if you're going to heaven? Because if you don't, don't, I really encourage you, you can receive Jesus and know for sure just by praying to him now, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, confess your sins to him, and turn your heart over to him to live for him as his disciple. And secondly, I'd like you to consider this. Do you long for heaven? Do you desire for it? There's a dangerous prayer I want to share with you, a dangerous six-word prayer that I have a hard time praying, but it goes like this, Lord, increase my desire for heaven. Now, this is a subversive prayer. If you pray it and you mean it, it will begin to quietly change your worldview, your values, uh, more important things than the size of your house or the make of your car. Once you begin to long for heaven, you begin to recognize that the only things that last for eternity are people. Your career is only going to last a few short years. Your own soul, though, is going to last forever. And the souls of others around you will last forever. And when you begin longing for heaven, your decisions will start to be different. The way you treat people, the way you talk to people, the way you spend your money, what you do with your time, the priorities in your life. Let heaven begin to fill your thoughts. Don't just think only about things here on earth. Because it's a sign of spiritual health that you hope for heaven. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It is a sign of of spiritual health if you hunger for a new experience of God, that you thirst for knowing God fully and completely through Jesus, that you long for a new body and a new nature, that you long to take others with you through Jesus Christ. And so if you're ready for that, then you're ready to pray, Lord, increase my desire for heaven. Next week, I'm going to be taking a little vacation, and so we will get a week off from the podcast, and we'll come back in two weeks and continue in chapter 14. So have a great week. Take care. 